Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Canton podcast. My name is Jared, and I am one of the pastors here, and I hope you are doing well today. I'm filling in for Roger. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas as well, and uh, I hope that you are making plans to spend time with us on Christmas Eve at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday, December 24th. It's going to be a time to come together with family and friends and uh, hear a message of hope and uh, sing as well with a a traditional singing of Silent Night to Candlelight as well. I want to let you know that um, your giving is making an impact in a variety of ways, both here uh, regionally and globally as well. We get to partner with our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, who are doing incredible things around the world, but specifically planting churches and, uh, and then revitalizing some churches who are in need of it. Uh, there's things that are happening locally here. We are continuing to learn about our community and the need for mental health and going after things like loneliness. And so we are putting together plans uh, to make that possible uh, to care for people in our community as well. So if you would like to give to Life Canton, go to lifecanton.org give and you can learn more about how your giving makes an impact. Uh, right now, we are going to continue in our series, All is Calm, and Pastor John Grandy is giving a message called Stop Working. I don't want to give too much more away. It's a great message. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Merry Christmas. I feel it in the air. We're nine days away, and uh, my kids made one of those little chains that, you know, link together that you cut off one of the pieces every day, and they're counting down. It's such a joyful time of year. And I love the series that we've been doing called All is Calm. We could have also called it Countercultural Christmas, you know, because we're trying to do things differently than the way the culture does it. And my name is John, by the way, if you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're in week three of All is Calm. I think I love this series because it's invited us to kind of turn down the noise and slow down our pace. Pretty much everything opposite of Ford Road. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I just try to avoid Ford Road all the time, but especially right now, it's insane. Don't even try to turn left on Ford Road. Just turn right and, and take the extra time it takes to get where you're going, okay? Like, you feel the anxiety when you're driving on it or anywhere near it. And so we want to create an environment that's the opposite of that, where we can just truly enjoy one another, enjoy God's presence, to be um, calm, to be in the moment. Now, I have a question for you. What's the number one question that we ask when we meet someone for the first time? Anyone have a guess? What's your name? How are you? Those are better questions than this one. What do you do? What do you do for work, right? That's usually one of the first questions we ask. Why are we so obsessed with work? In fact, one study from the New York Post said that 48% of people admit that they are workaholics. Can you believe that? 48%. And that's just the people who are willing to admit it, okay? It's probably higher than that. Work is something that is ingrained in our culture. We even have this term workaholic, don't we? And I would define it as someone who is addicted to work. They can't stop working. They work excessively and compulsively. It's all-consuming. It's like this obsession to just have to achieve and get things done and check things off the list. Now, you may be listening and be like, no, I'm not a workaholic. That's not me. Well, I have some questions uh, for you to consider, okay? You may be a workaholic if you think about your work on your day off. Are you able to truly unplug or do you keep thinking about it on your day off? 
You may be a workaholic if you feel too busy to take a vacation. How many of you used all of your vacation time this year? Okay. All right. I don't see enough hands. We got to work on that next year. Okay. Uh, you might be a workaholic if you are stressed out. 53% of Americans say they're currently stressed about work. 53%. That is the opposite of all is calm, isn't it? It's the opposite of peace is anxiety. You may be a workaholic if you are single and you don't have a life outside of work. I think this is a particular challenge for single people because they don't have as much time with family or loved ones, and so they could just get buried in work. What does your life look like outside of work? You may be a workaholic if you prioritize your job above everything else, including your family, friends, and hobbies. Ouch. Ouch. Do we prioritize work above other things? Dr. Mark Griffiths says this about workaholics. Those genuinely addicted to work appear to have a compulsive drive to gain approval and success. So now we're kind of driving below what's behind it. But can result in impaired judgment, poor health, burnout, and breakdowns. Workaholic is disastrous for our health. And at the end of the day, I can relate to this struggle. Because in my own life, when I would reach the end of the day, uh, years ago and still some today, um, get ready to go home, wrap up my work for the day, have this nagging sense that I didn't do enough today. There's more I could have gotten done. Can anyone relate to that? That voice in your head? That's, I, I could check one more email. I could check one more thing off the list. And so it would cause me to stay at work later and my wife is sitting at home wondering, where's John? He said he was going to be home a half hour ago. Where is he? And it started creating this tension between us where I was not a man of my word when it comes to being home from work on time when I said I would. Now, we've come a long way from this, but it's still something that I can struggle with because it's, it's tied to our identity, isn't it? I am what I do is what we can sometimes believe. My worth is based on how much I can perform or how much I can get done. And this is the why behind the work, isn't it? That is attached to our identity. It's part of how we define ourselves. We find meaning and purpose in what we do. We want to make an impact. We want to provide for our families. And that's not all a bad thing. We need to work hard. We need to provide. But the challenge with work comes when we cannot define ourselves outside of work. And we don't know who we are when we're not working, when we're not tied up in this job. I've worked with people who are transitioning to retirement, and it's an identity crisis because they're like, who am I going to be when I don't have work anymore? There is so much of our identity that is tied up in this, isn't it? That's when it becomes a problem, when we can't define ourselves outside of work, when we have, and, and I think those identity crises are natural. I actually think they happen at every big transition in our lives, we talk about them happening for teenagers. Students out there, you know you're asking that question, who am I now in middle school? Who am I in high school? But I think we ask that when we get married, when we have kids, when we reach retirement. It happens at all these big life changes. Another thing that we can wrestle with is feeling like we're not enough or we're not doing enough. We have this natural desire to provide but we're afraid that what we make as a living is not going to be enough to provide for our families. Uh, what if something happens, 
a, a disaster of some sort and we don't have enough money in the bank to cover it. So we can worry about this. We can stress about not having enough in savings and it creates this drive to keep working, to not just meet needs but have extra in case something happens. So we keep working. I have a question that I want us all to wrestle with today. What would it take for you to stop working? What would it take for me to stop working? To stop let it, having such a stranglehold on our identity and how we define ourselves. Last week, Roger talked about the shepherds in the Christmas story, how they were stinky social outcasts who they didn't make much money. They probably weren't workaholics, but they had to wrestle with the same question that we do. What will it take to stop working in their context? So we're going to jump back into their story and find out how they struggled with, will you stop working? And the story happens on the evening of Jesus' birthday. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. We'll go from verse 8 to verse 20, kind of jump around a little bit in this to unpack maybe a different angle on the shepherd's story than you may have seen before. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Which, by the way, this is the number one response to angels in the Bible. This is terror. And, and they're, they're these big, strong, uh, angelic beings that are more like Navy SEALs times two. You know, they're just these huge beings. And they're terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. We'll keep going. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So you have this very big party in the heavenly realms, and these shepherds find themselves in the midst of it. Now, what do you notice about the shepherds? What are they doing? They're working. They're on the job right now, okay? They're, they're watching their sheep. Specifically, the scripture says that they are guarding their sheep from what? Wolves, lions, bears. Sheep have a lot of predators, okay? And this is nighttime, yeah, that's when the predators want to come out and sneak attack and grab a sheep for dinner, you know? And the shepherds got to protect them from the predators. So they're on the job, and this is kind of like prime time for shepherds. They have to be on the lookout to make sure their sheep are safe. Now, did you notice what the angels say when they show up to the shepherds? They announce what is happening. They're, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, and they tell them how they're going to find him wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Did they command the shepherds to go see him? They didn't, did they? They just announced what was happening. Kind of like an invitation. It was not a command. It was not a thus says the Lord, you must go see the Messiah in Bethlehem. No, it was this is happening. It's going to be incredible. You should go. It's this kind of mysterious invitation. And every invitation includes a choice, doesn't it? 
We have to RSVP. Yes, I'm coming, or no, sorry, I can't make it. Uh, invitation requires a choice. Now, would the shepherds go back to work and ignore what they just saw and heard? Remember, they're on the job. I mean, someone has to protect all these sheep. What if they, they said yes and they went to Bethlehem and when they came back there were no sheep left because they either ran away or they were all picked off by predators. How's that going to go over with the boss? Not very good, right? So they had to protect the sheep. I mean, what would you do if you were in their situation? It's kind of like if an angel showed up at work on the assembly line where you work and told you to drop what you're doing and go. Just leave a hole in the assembly line. Everything would get backed up and there'd be a big mess on your hands. It'd be like leaving your kids to fend for themselves while you go on a road trip to Bethlehem. You know, like, good luck, kids. Hope you don't die. Um, but I'm going to Bethlehem. Um, it'd be like bailing on the important presentation you've been preparing for for a long time with your team. And you just leave everyone hanging. You just don't show up, and you're the keynote speaker. Awkward, <laughs> you know. You're just bailing on your work. What did the shepherds do? Let's keep reading to find out. Verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village. They RSVP'd yes. They said, let's go. This is an adventure. And they were kind of impulsive about it, weren't they? It says they hurried. They didn't stop to ask the boss for a flex day. They were like, no, we got to go. We can't miss this. We got to go to Bethlehem. And so they went on this adventure together. But you need to understand the risk that they took in doing this. They could have truly lost their job because they didn't ask to get that time off. And like I said before, this was nighttime. So there was a lot more risks to the sheep than there would be during the daytime. You might be able to sneak away during the day. There's not a lot of predators in broad daylight there. But at nighttime, the shepherds are leaving at prime time. I mean, this is like a prime time quarterback not showing up for the game at, you know, prime time when everyone's watching and there's no quarterback to be found. How could the shepherds leave during prime time? And did you catch how they talked about what they were going to do? This mysterious thing. Let's go see this thing that's going to happen in Bethlehem. They didn't even know what to call it, which makes us think that these shepherds may not have been believers. They may not have been Jewish followers. We don't know. Uh, based on their response, they don't know a whole lot of what's happening. And part of the Christmas story is all these things happening to all kinds of different people so that everyone can be invited into the story. Did you catch that part? Good news that will bring great joy to all people. This is a message for everyone, from every background, from every race, language, nation, and tribe and tongue. This is an invitation to everyone. But the shepherds were caught, being caught up in this wild claim that these angels were making. The Messiah, whom the Jewish people had waited thousands of years for, was finally here. They had heard of false messiahs and all kinds of things happening, claims about God, and now all of a sudden he is actually here and an angel from heaven comes and wants to make sure they know about it. This is a wild claim. And they don't tell 
the shepherds much about what's happening. Again, they just call it this thing. Now, I want you to think about this in our context. What if you went and invited someone and said, hey, we're doing this thing on Christmas Eve at our church. You should come. Do you think they would come? Probably not. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, churches do weird things sometimes. What is this thing that you're talking about, right? And so they, they don't even know how to describe it. It's mysterious, but they're caught up in this mystery. Why did the shepherds stop working and go to Bethlehem when this was so risky? Why did they do it? I think we find the answer in verse 10. Let's read that again. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring good news that will bring great joy to all people. This good news that brings great joy is worth the risk. There's a mystery that draws us in, that makes us want to find out more. There's always mystery to adventure, isn't there? We don't know what's going to be around every corner or every turn, but we have to follow it to find out. And so they thought that this was worth the risk. But what if the shepherds would have chosen to keep working instead of going to Bethlehem? If they were workaholics, they definitely would have said no and kept working because this is the number one priority for workaholics. The truth is, it would have been an even greater risk for them to say no. I mean, think about it. They were invited to be some of the first people on planet Earth to meet the Messiah in person. It would have been a greater risk to say no. Because they would have heard everyone come and share about what was happening in their encounters with Jesus, and they would have felt left out. They would have had major FOMO. You know, I wish I would have been there. I wish I would have said yes, and they would have felt like that was a greater risk than going to see him. Thank God they made the right decision. Friends, we have a choice as well. Will we stop working so that we can encounter Jesus? Will we stop working to make space for the presence of God, especially in the midst of the Christmas season? And I'm not just talking about your nine to five. I'm talking about that drive within us that has to get things done, that has to say that in order for this to be a good day, I've got to get these things done, and it can't be a good day if I don't get these things done. Can we quiet that noise? Can we quiet the inner critic enough to make room and make space for Jesus, just like these shepherds did. See, in week one of this series, we replaced talking with silence. We, hear, we heard Jared's story about his daughter, Lena, who tells a friend, stop talking, you know. I love that story. Uh, be quiet and just listen, you know. Week two, replace the crowds with solitude. Sometimes we need to be alone and wrestle with what comes up when we're alone. And find time for meditation. Roger talked about that with Mary, how she treasured these things in her heart as the Christmas story was unfolding. Today we're learning from the shepherds to replace work with something so much better. Let's finish the story to find out what that better thing was, okay? So we'll pick up in verse 16. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, 
It was just as the angel had told them. The shepherds replaced work with Sabbath. Now, we've defined Sabbath in a lot of different ways, but today the shepherds are showing us a different take on the Sabbath, and they're helping us define it simply. Sabbath means joyful rest. Joyful rest. They stopped working so they could make room for joy, didn't they? They didn't know what was ahead. They, they followed this invitation of the angels, and they found themselves in this joyful moment, in this encounter with the Messiah, the Savior of the world. They got to be some of the first to see him with their own eyes. And the fact that they didn't have a plan made this kind of a fun adventure, and you pick up on their joy on the way home. They were full of joy, even playful and giddy. We kind of we get that sense from them at the end of these verses as they are on their way home. In fact, I see three different types of joy in this passage. This, this might be another thing that we miss, but there's three different types of joy here. Let's look at verses 18 to 20 again. Verse 18, since we were just talking about uh, the shepherds, well, actually, let's, yeah, let's, let's start with, with the people here because they're astonished. Do you see that? The people are astonished with what is happening. This is more of like a wonder, childlike wonder. What if we could recapture that wonder that kids have on Christmas morning? That wonder leading up to the day where they're counting down the days towards Christmas and they're so excited and cannot wait. And it's more than the presence, isn't it? It's about these moments that we have together. It's about the presence of God that they may not know how, how to articulate yet, but they're experiencing God's peace and joy and love and hope. And they are caught up in the wonder. That's what is happening with all the people as they are astonished with wonder. And then Mary thought about these things often. Roger talked about this last week, this meditation of her heart, where this is a quiet joy, more of a, a joy filled with solitude, where we're kind of thinking about this, not reacting in the moment, but taking it into our hearts and treasuring what is happening. There's wonder. Mary shows us meditation. And what do the shepherds show us? We already talked about this a little bit. You can go to the next verse. The shepherds show us celebration, don't they? They were glorifying and praising God. This was not quiet like Mary. This was loud. Like as they were traveling back to their flocks, I bet you everyone was like, what happened to those shepherds? Because they're excited. They're jacked. They're like something happened to them. And as we read earlier, they told everyone. So as they're going along, they didn't just tell everyone in Bethlehem. They told everyone along the way as they were traveling back to work. There was a celebration happening with these shepherds. They were singing loudly, I bet, just like the angels were when they showed up. Here's the thing. I love how this verse ends. It was just as the angel had told them. The risk paid off, didn't it? Because what if the angels were lying to them? What if they said, this is going to happen, but they got there and nothing was there? No, they took the risk to go and accept the invitation and the risk paid off. The risk to stop working was rewarded with joyful rest. See, in the story, we learn from the shepherds that Sabbath is not just a day. It's any moment that we experience joyful rest. 
There's these Sabbath moments that we can find ourselves in, that we can intentionally pursue all throughout the day and the week. Sabbath moments are captured in things like a digital picture frame. We have this in our kitchen where we can cycle through pictures from our family over the years and we find ourselves just, you know, getting distracted by this picture frame at times, seeing these different memories that come up and all the emotions and the thoughts that come up as you see these pictures and the memories that come with them. Sabbath moments are belly laughs when you have a great time with friends or when my kids are playing in the other room, you know, being creative and they're just this full belly laugh and I can't help but smile of their joy that I am caught up in. Sabbath moments are standing in the sunlight. I find myself doing this like when it's a sunny day, just kind of literally stopping and letting the sunlight wash over my body, especially because we only get 10 days of sunlight in Michigan, you know. (laughs) It's most days are cloudy, so when you get the sun, you've got to soak it up, all right? And those are Sabbath moments, getting some vitamin D, you know, as we soak up that sun. Sabbath moments are leaves in the trees. I remember early uh, when Noah was probably just a couple years old, maybe two or three years old, we were playing in the yard, and um, I, I don't remember the details of the story, to be honest with you, but what I do remember is I found myself laying in the grass with him on our backs, looking up at the trees and watching them dance in the leaves. And I found myself asking, how long has it been since I've done this? How long has it been since I've stopped and was quiet enough to actually lay in the grass and feel the beautiful soft needles of grass? Needles is not the right word for it. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? And look up at the leaves and see them dance in the leaves and just get caught up in the moment. How long has it been since I've done this? Sabbath moments look like my two children driving a Power Wheels police car and saying a word that I'm not going to correct because it's too cute. Check this out. So this is Noah and Lila about seven years ago when we lived in Ohio. Listen to what Noah's saying. I see dapodils. Now watch as I pan backwards where Lila's hand is. That's Oakley, our dog. He's, he's passed now, but he's a great dog. She's got her hands in the back. Is that fun, Lila? Lila. Adorable, isn't it? I don't know if this is good parenting advice, but when my kids say the words the way, wrong way, I don't correct them because it's too cute. I want them to say that as long as they can. Dapodils. Dad, I see the dapodils. And now he's going to get made fun of by all of you. Um, and you could just blame it on me, okay? So these are moments where we get to get caught up in playful rest and joyful rest. We had just moved into that house, and there, you, know, you, you know all the craziness that comes with moving and unpacking and everything. And we had stopped to just say, we need a, a day to be 100% with each other. 
Um, and that's what we did. And that's when we captured that moment. It was during a Sabbath moment. I'm not making this up. This is something we've intentionally tried to live out with our kids and make sure that they can experience this joyful rest along with us. How do you rest? Currently in your life, what helps you practice joyful rest? Do you have a rhythm of this? Is this a priority for you? When was the last time you caught yourself in a joyful moment and asked yourself, when was the last time I did this? If you can't think of one, then you might be a workaholic. I'm just saying, okay? No, we need to get caught up in these moments of joy. It's so important. Why? Because Sabbath is the antidote to workaholism. Sabbath is the antidote to workaholism. Workaholism convinces us that we are what we do. Our work defines our identity. But Sabbath reminds us we are enough, just as God made us. God defines our identity. Amen? Not our work. God does. He made us and he called us not just good, but very good. It's the only part of creation that gets the very part of it. You are very good. You are made in the image of God. And that is worth caring for. That is worth resting to remember who he made you to be. Because when we get caught up in work, it produces a scarcity identity. There's a part of us that feels like we are not enough or we are not doing enough. And that works its way all the way down into our identity, not just a mindset. When I first wrote this, I said scarcity mindset, but I think it's so much more. It actually becomes a scarcity identity, doesn't it? I am not enough. I am not doing enough. And that's a much bigger problem than just a mindset or a mentality. We can even be convinced that joy or Sabbath is a luxury, not a necessity. If we have this scarcity identity. I don't have enough time for joy. I don't have enough time to laugh and to play. That's for kids. I'm a grown-up. I got to get stuff done. I got to work. And that's a scarcity identity. Instead, Sabbath invites us to accept the truth that God will always provide for us. He will always be enough. And he says that we are enough. Always. We are never not enough for him. Okay, We are always enough for our creator. And he invites us to experience this abundance identity. More than just a mentality. It's believing in the core of our identity that God promises to provide so we will always have enough and be enough. That's the abundance identity. I will always have enough and be enough, and I believe it. And I'm going to wrestle with that until I believe it. Sabbath is the antidote to workaholism because it prioritizes joy and rest. It makes this a priority, not a luxury, but something that we need. It's a risk, though, isn't it? It's risky for us, just like it was for the shepherds. There are things that we have to give up. There are things that we have to sacrifice if we are going to make these Sabbath moments and Sabbath days a priority. It may mean making less money or saying no to overtime. You know, that time and a half or, or double time is very tempting, but in order to practice rest, sometimes we have to say no and prioritize that rest. Some of you may not even have vacation days. So in order for you to take a day off work, it means you're not getting paid. That's a risk. That's a risk. And is it worth taking? I think it is. 
There's definitely a cost to this, but is it worth the risk? Is it worth the risk? There was a study done about the Sabbath, and in the study they had researched the Christian denomination Seventh-day Adventists because they prioritize Sabbath. You can hear it in the name of their denomination. Seventh-day Adventists, meaning we are going to practice Sabbath on the seventh day. And for them, they believe that it's Saturday. It doesn't really matter what day it is, to be honest, as long as you're practicing Sabbath. But for them, it's part of who they are and what they believe. So every Saturday, they really take Sabbath seriously. Um, and, and they can sometimes wrestle with some legalism, but we all can, can't we? Um, what they found, though, was that the Seventh-day Adventists lived, on average, 11 years longer than everyone else that they did in the survey. Is that a coincidence? Let's do the math. One-seventh of a week, because one day for Sabbath out of the seven days, if you add, up, if you add that up over the course of an average lifetime, Guess what that equals out to be? 11 years. It's the same exact number. So the Seventh-day Adventists are teaching us that when we actually prioritize Sabbath, we can add a decade to our lives. That's hard evidence by the, by the research. If you practice Sabbath, you can have a decade more to your life. That's why this matters. That's why this risk is worth it. Now, I imagine if, if you get caught up in workaholism, it's going to have the opposite effect, right? You might take away a decade of your life if we get caught up in workaholism, whereas Sabbath actually extends our life, invites us into more life. Now, as we wrap up, I want to look at one more thing that we learned from the shepherds in verse 20. Let's look at verse 20 again. The shepherds went back to their flocks. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, it was just as the angel had told them. Apparently, the shepherds did not get fired from their boss for leaving because they had to go back to their flocks. They still had their jobs. They made space for joyful rest, and then they went back to work. Okay, it's interesting that, this, that the Christmas story puts that in there. They went back to their flocks. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying just... Twiddle your thumbs and practice Sabbath every day, all day long, right? We have to work. We have to work hard. And there's something good about that work ethic. I was trying to teach my son this. We were cutting up branches yesterday in the yard. Uh, you know, that this is important for you. But we have to separate our work from our identity. We have to detangle these things and see them for what they really are. Students, I'm not telling you to quit doing your homework and to quit school. You're not going to get a diploma if you do that, so don't do that. Keep working hard. Keep doing your homework. We have to be known as people who work hard and have that reputation for the kingdom of God. And we also need to know when it's time to rest, to prioritize that. Because the shepherds took time for Sabbath, now their work had greater perspective, didn't it? They could work knowing why they're working. They could work for the glory of the Savior. They could work knowing that the Messiah had come and they got the opportunity to tell everyone they saw about this Messiah. So their work had purpose now that was greater than making money. So how do we live this out? How do we make room for Sabbath and for joyful rest? The first thing we have to do is separate our work from our identity. I've said that, but how do we do it? I want you to repeat this phrase this week as much as you can, okay? And here it is, right up here. 
Say this to yourself in the mirror or to other people, to your family members. Work is what I do, not who I am. I am made to practice joyful rest. Work is what I do, not who I am. I am made to practice joyful rest. Embody that truth. Let it fill your mind, your heart, your soul, your work, your rest. Let that be a part of your identity to embody that truth. And secondly, practice joyful rest. Let's learn from the shepherds to celebrate, to play, from Mary to meditate, and from all the people to be astonished with wonder, to recapture that joy and wonder of Christmas just like a kid again. And to help us do this, I wanted to give us a, a Sabbath moment right now during our time of worship. Allow your identity and your soul to rest in him and practice this joyful rest in this Sabbath moment. Thanks again for listening to this message. I hope it was inspiring and profound for you. I hope that you are able to find some Sabbath uh, moments in your day, in your Christmas holiday, in your New Year, um, and joyful rest, as John put it. I love that concept. Um, also, I want to make sure that you get connected with us. If you are newer to us, newer to the podcast, you can do that by clicking on the links in our show page, or you can simply go to lifecanton.org connect, and one of our staff members will be happy to reach out to you and help you take some next steps. Uh, that's if you have any questions about anything that we're doing, about what giving goes to, about uh, how you might be able to serve or volunteer in some capacity. We want to meet you. Uh, we want you to experience belonging so that you can encounter Jesus. Have a great rest of your Christmas and a very happy new year. We'll see you back here soon.